Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Community Pulse. My name is Jason Hand, and I am Jason Hand on Twitter. And I'm Mary Thingaval, at Mary Grace, Mary underscore Grace on Twitter. Excuse me. Uh, wanted to welcome you all today. We have three guests on the show today. We have Jason E., Karina Zona, and PJ Haggerty. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, so let's start with you all telling us a little bit about yourselves. Uh, PJ, how about you start us off? Uh, okay. Uh, so my name is PJ. I reside in New York. Uh, I've been doing community and DevRel work for about almost five years now um, for a few different companies. Um, I love going on the road and meeting people, kind of getting to stay a part of the hacker developer culture and also have the social aspect of it as well. So that's really what I focus on. Cool. How about you, Jason? Uh, I'm Jason Lee. Uh, get bisect on Twitter. Um, I, up until very recently, was the community manager for operations, performance, and security at O'Reilly Media, the wonderful uh, animal book people. Uh, currently just kind of floating around, but been involved in uh, community and open source for a while. Previously, just as a developer who was really engaged with the communities that I was in, uh, and ended up turning that into a position for a while. Uh, I'm Karina C. Zona. I'm CC Zona on Twitter. Uh, I am currently the kind of roughly undefined, but let's call it a developer evangelist for Ruby Together. Um, previously, have uh, worked for Rackspace and a number of organizations, primarily nonprofit. Um, I I will say that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great to have all three of you on the show. Um, we've, I think all of us kind of casually know each other through uh, at least one, maybe more different Slack channels and Slack groups that we have out there uh, as part of the greater community community, um, whether that's evangelism or dev relations or, or some other um, mixture of all that kind of stuff. And um, the reason why we, we wanted to pull you three in here and have this conversation today was really just to sort of talk um, a lot about the importance of community in, in an organization, but also something we'll, we'll probably get into a little bit more. Uh, just a few weeks ago, um, there was a, a conversation that took place on Twitter that uh, many of us were active in, and, and a lot of us have some opinions on, and so we'll get to that for sure. Um, but maybe for our first question, um, or first conversation piece, we'll kind of go around the horn, and maybe we'll start with you, Karina. Uh, but we'd like to know, um, for you, what do you think makes the, the developer relations and that part of the community part um, important to a company, whether that's your company or anybody else sort of in, in you know, the world, basically. Yeah. Um, we are the listeners in a lot of respects. I think in some ways we are the technical side of customer service. We are solving a lot of problems by being able to hear in advance where things are going and being able to, you know, assuage a lot of concerns, send messages out there, build relationships which I think that part is really different than, say, customer support, right? We're, we're relationship people. We're frequently one-to-one. We are getting to know people, and we need to have conversations that oftentimes there's no one else in the company who's having that kind of contact, and it's really important for, for like, as a two-way street, you know, um, we're hearing, and that we are able to go back into the company and find the people who can actually do something about those problems rather than it just be, say, generically in some sort of, you know, issue tracker database and be an advocate for 
that community, you know, being able to say not just here's a problem, but, you know, here are some ways to solve it. And, you know, I, I think this truly is important enough that we need to be doing something with that. Cool. What about you, PJ? Yeah, I, I have to agree that I think that, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of aspects to what we do that, I don't know if they're fully understood yet or if it's even, you know, can, can we say that this is a science? I don't think we can say it's a science yet. Um, but I think there's a lot to what we do that is being misunderstood and that we're trying to bring more attention to, not just in our day-to-day, -day, if you can say even, I mean, one of my favorite interview questions, what would you describe your average day as, as a community engineer, as a dev evangelist? It's like there's no such thing. That's not a thing we have. Um, but kind of getting that understanding across is, I think, our biggest barrier right now. Yeah, definitely. There isn't one, here's my typical day, because, I'm sorry, my typical day depends on whether I'm in San Francisco or New York or Baltimore or Denver or wherever I happen to be on that day and who I happen to be talking to and what fires I have to put out. And, yeah, it makes sense. And it's not even a matter of physical location all the time. Sometimes it's a matter of mental location. You know, you... You might be at home, like, you know, I might be here in Buffalo, but I've spent my entire day working with someone on a conference that we're throwing in Jacksonville, Florida. So that's where my mind is. I, I'm physically one place and mentally somewhere else. So, and that's, obviously, that's not a typical thing. I don't organize conferences every day, um, especially outside of my city. But, you know, it's a lot of what I do. And so, yes, is that typical? Not really. Is it something I do a lot? Yeah, kind of. Um, and I think that's that's the other the other side of the coin is people think that, and this is my I know Karina and I have talked about this a million times, the idea that the the dev relations person or, or the dev evangelist or community engineer whatever titles we want to use is like the party person who they don't do anything when they're not in the conference. Um, perceived as perceived as yeah. not reality at all. Yeah. Oh, right. I, exactly. Exactly. This idea that you know we're party monsters who who hibernate between conferences apparently doing nothing except for writing a talk, which is of course the easiest thing in the world. What <laughs> with the typical talk that people can embrace. I'm, I'm picking up on some sarcasm there. Yeah, maybe a little, a little bit of snark. But uh, you know, I've actually had people at, at companies I've worked for come to me and say, well, "So what is it you do here?" I think, I think that's that's the key misunderstanding the key thing that we need to better communicate to both internally to people that we work with regularly and out to the community is, you know, we're not just people that go to conferences, people that man the booth, people that stand on stage and talk or pass out business cards or whatever. Yeah, I think a lot of it's, you know, we're, we're very comfortable with chaos or very comfortable with unstructured life and just not knowing what's really around the corner. I mean, it doesn't mean we don't plan and we don't you know, have our checklists of things, but um, our life is wearing many hats and there's just a lot that we can do, but we have to have that freedom and, and, and sort of responsibility to just get it done um, in, in sort of an unstructured way a little bit. So what about you, Jason? You got some comments on it? Yeah, I mean, I just, yes to all of those things, especially the what do you do, you know, there are so many times where, uh, you know, being remote, particularly for O'Reilly, since a large part of my, my working group was in Sebastopol. Uh, you know, there was that notion of what do you do all day? Uh, you know, show us the, the actual things that you're producing, um, which, you know, 
what is that? And <laughs> it's largely just, you know, a lot of it's conversations. It's interacting with people. Um, there are no, like, you know, I didn't write a report about things. Um, so it is that, that interesting thing of, like, you know, I think coming from a developer's perspective, too, and coming, you know, this is really my first solid job of being a community person. Um, you know, it was so much easier and nicer when I first started. And I was like, you know, I'm going to set up a JIRA and I'm going to have these tickets. And I'm going to just check them off, you know, which is not what community is about. You don't have these these nice neat tasks that you can put into a sprint cycle and just check them off. Yeah, not the only real deliverables, especially like physical things that we can hand anybody or just receipts. <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't really help our case most of the time. So, yeah. yeah. And one of the things I wanted to comment about uh, something Karina said when she was talking is is having your sort of ear to the ground and, and know what's going on. And, and to me, like that's that's a big reason why we call this show the Community Pulse is that we are, you know, we try to have a finger on that pulse of what's going on internally, externally, uh, the market, um, the technology that's changing. We we are sort of like I don't know that that oracle or something who's supposed to try to make sense of the unknown and then get that to the people that make other decisions. Um, but that there's so much mysticism in that that people get confused, I think, in a lot of cases. Well, I mentioned listening earlier, and I think an even more important role we do is I do a lot of interviewing. Anyone who comes and talks to me and says, you know, I either like or dislike it, if you're engaged enough that you have tried it and have opinion, I am eager to, to probe you further so that I can bring back something more. Um, and that is, again, a difference is, you know, for instance, PJ's talking about we're not just party people. We're there to be able to socialize on a level where people are comfortable enough, giving us, frankly, you know, the critiques as well as the, can I give you an impossible ask, which I know, you know, is far beyond what this company would do, but, like, can I say it anyway and, and like, see what happens? All that kind of building trust in order to be able to pick brains in a way that, frankly, you know, someone, for instance, like support or someone who's selling stuff at a booth, well, I mean, like selling up, you know, the company, whatever, like those people are simply not trusted with that. And, and our job, our role is to be someone who can. I, I, I think, too, that part of it, and I think this ties into what you're saying, Karina, part of it is, you know, a familiarity, like, you know, kind of the opposite of familiarity breeds contempt. It, it breeds comfort. Um, when someone, you know, when I was working, my, my first community job was with a company called Engine Yard. And after about six months, six, seven months, like, I kind of became the face of Engine Yard that wasn't the face of calling support, like you're saying. Wasn't the face of going up to someone who's working the booth. Like, it was just PJ. PJ's this guy I know. I've seen him, you know, three times this year. And, and yeah, he talks about cool stuff on stage and whatever, and that's fine. But, you know, like, I have a legit engineering problem. Like, why are you doing X? Like, why is this happening? And he can answer that, and I'm comfortable asking him that question. Um, and I think that, that that's the thing, is you kind of become this this avatar, if you will, of the people that you're representing. Um, you become an avatar that becomes a single point of contact. And even if you're not able to ask that question or answer that question, um, like you said, you kind of interview people and say, you know, that's good, but why? And kind of pull more information it's kind of, and this is the other side of Dev Relations, is taking it back to the organization you're representing and saying, hey, I had a talk with someone who is a customer or a prospective customer, whatever, and they said they have this problem with X. What are we doing about that? I need to know because I'm going to get back to this individual, and I need to know what the answer is the next five times I get asked. Yeah. 
and that's a huge thing for me. So I don't have a developer background. Like I can I can hold my own with some HTML, a little bit of CSS, learning some other things, but like I don't have an in-depth knowledge of products that I'm that I'm talking to people about and the companies that I work for. And so I think the key for me is that like, okay, cool, I don't know the answer. I know the right people to connect you to. And I think that's a, a huge part of our job as well is even if we don't know all the answers because we can't be expected to, but people know they can come to us because we're going to know who the right people are to send them to. So like, okay, I don't know these five answers, but yes, absolutely I'll connect you to those people and either they'll get back to you with the direct answer or I'll get back to you. And so, like you said, we become known as the, the face of that company, the avatar for the company of like, here's this friendly face of the person that I actually know that is approachable and is honest and straightforward and will tell me things like it is and I can believe what they're saying. And in return, I can tell them the way that I feel about things as well. I think often we have a role as being the low bullshit communicator. Um, and I, like you were sort of alluding to that, PJ, is, you know, we we are going to be trustworthy in what we say. I think the ethics of our role is really important. Um, you know, recruiters, for instance, are marketers. They're often distrusted. They're trying to, in some way, give the most cheerful outlook. Um, and we also have a lot more inside information because we have a lot more contact with varying people within the company, not just their one department. And so when someone asks a question, we have a lot more access to be able to speak, you know, in, in a more sort of comprehensive fashion in some way. Um, including non-technical people like you, Mary, um, but we also are much more willing to to be honest about it, and that means that we can get that honesty back from them and bring that stuff back. And I think always we're we're the bridge, we're the communication bridge, you know, and we're we're the representative of the attitude of the company. So you know, when we are willing to be honest, it really reflects on the company as a whole. It's like they're they're not. You know, they're not out to just get me to do something. Yeah, and, and uh, just one more comment before we kind of move on from here. But I think, you know, all of us know very well just because a lot of our friends are in the community space, um, and and we can relate with each other very well. And and, and uh, I think that we just have a lot in common. And I and a big part of that I think is that we are very sympathetic and empathetic people. We tend to be more uh, on sort of the pleaser and helper. Part of the spectrum and and also just want to sort of get things done rather than handing off you know some sort of job to somebody else like why not what why don't we just take care of that and and because of that or as a result of that i think we also tend to take on a lot of things that aren't really defined roles or defined tasks or defined anything we're just like well this is something that needs to get done and i can do it so i'm going to do it and then all of a sudden that's sort of unofficially but also very officially part of our job but not really recognized by anybody because it was never part of the job spec. Nobody's really asking you to do it. It's just that once you've been doing it, it becomes expected to a certain degree. And I think that's really just because of, of who we are you know, inside, really, more so than, the job, than what the job is. But that, to me, is a big part of what is not being spoken, um, but probably needs to be like have the light shed on it somehow is that we just tend to, it's not that we keep flipping hats around. We keep adding hats to our collection and just, just kind of keep doing it, you know? And, and then when somebody wants to see some results, it's really difficult for us to start having that conversation because we're like, can't you see the 1 million and one things that I do for this place? 
That's a really yeah, good point, especially if it's an on-site type of thing, like while you're at a conference or while you were doing an on-site training, something like that. It's completely invisible to anyone else. You've delivered a lot of value and a lot of time, but it may never be seen or known. Yeah. So that actually leads perfectly into the next question I was going to ask. So obviously, as we all know and as we've been talking about, the things that we do are incredibly valuable, not only for the outside community but also for our internal companies. But we have a huge amount of difficulty explaining that to other people outside of our profession. And I think part of it, like we've been talking about, is the fact that we wear a lot of different hats and that things aren't as straightforward and clear-cut as, I have a JIRA board, here's all the tickets that I've finished in the last month. But why do you think it's so difficult to explain to people who don't do what we do? Well, I, I think a part of it is, is where the job expectation is set when someone brings you on. Um, I recently had a situation where I worked for a startup for a month, um, unexpectedly. Um, but I, my first, you know, my first day, walk into orientation, great interviews. It's very clear that the, the guy who hired me and the people that I'm going to be working with understand what I'm going to do. And I, I walk through the door, haven't really even sat down and opened up the new laptop yet. Like, you know, the, the, the plastic's still on the box. And the founder walks up and said, so you're going to increase sales like 300%. And I was like, whoa, what exactly is it you think I do? And he was like, well, you sell. That's what dev evangelists do. They sell. And I was like, I'm not going to sell a thing. And he's like, well, why did we hire you? I was like, well, you hired me. I can't answer that. <laughs> and it, it was clear that to him, dev evangelist was, it was a buzzword. It was a checkoff on a, I have a startup and I need one of these. It was like, you know, we need a printer and a copier, a fax machine, and a dev evangelist. Um, and it was just like, you know, so that's that's how they looked at it. It took a it took a good week. Luckily, orientation was a week long. It took a good week to get that idea set in that that's not what I do. Um, but at the same time, it was, you know, getting them to understand that what we do is, yes, it will lead to sales. Um, but please don't, you know, try to put a marker on my back and say, you have led to X amount of sales. Um, a, a friend of mine who actually got me into doing this, uh, a guy named Eamon Leonard, he always always put it in great terms. He said the way it works, and grand, we were working for engineer at the time, so everything was a trained metaphor. Um, the community team, our job was to build the tracks. Marketing then builds the train and sales drives the train home. Our job is just to lay those tracks down. We're there for the setup. We're not going to tell you about pricing. We're not going to, and it could be a long setup. That track could be very long, but we're not there to make the sale. And it's going to be very hard to determine that, you know, if I speak at RubyConf Philippines and someone from in the Philippines who has a startup or a company starts using our service six months later, and he was also at that conference, can you prove that that's why he went with that company? Probably not. Probably not. Um, and extending that metaphor, we're also the track maintainers. We're the exactly. We're constantly keeping it from keeping it running smoothly and occasionally having to deal with breakage. But a lot of our role is to make sure it never gets to the point where the train needs, like the track needs to be fixed. So now, now I'm thinking of this uh, song in my head and, and picturing all of us around a railroad track, just hammering ties into the ground singing, I I've been working on the railroad. <laughs> yeah, that, that's probably really the interesting thing to kind of speak to what Karina just mentioned too. Am I allowed to swear? Go for it. Okay. Is we, we at the community team that I had back then with Eamon, we were a two-man team that we called the Fuck the Haters team. And the way it worked was, you know, 
our job was to look out for people who were saying negative things about the brand, negative things about the company, and address their issues so that, you know, we could reach out and, and be proactive about it, you know, realize that someone's going to print, you know, something on Hacker News, it's like, this company is just absolute garbage, blah, blah, blah. Our job was to go out and engage in a positive way. And that's very much a big part of community. It's, it's not a marketing thing because marketing is not going to fix that. It's not a sales thing because sales is definitely like, what are you going to do, upsell to make it better? That's not going to work. Um, community's job is to say. Every time, right? What's that? It's what the internet companies try to do every time, right? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, you, you don't like Time Warner? Here, we're going to package it, a landline phone with it. It's better now, right? <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. I just ripped that off from John Oliver. Sorry. Anyway. But, you know, the idea is, you know, there's people out there that are going to have personal grievances. And I would say our approach of going out and saying, hey, we understand you have a problem. What is it? How can we help you? We're 90% of the time. The other 10% were people who'd never actually used the product and were just being hateful. Um, which is something, again, as a, as a community person, it's your job to kind of, you know, put the kibosh down on that. So that's kind of an interesting thing that you bring up because that's something that came up fairly regularly with O'Reilly um, was responding to the haters, the people that just want to complain about stuff. And generally, we always had this, this struggle and this conflict of uh, leadership just being like, you can't please everybody, just move on. Um, and the community, community team always feeling like we should be transparent. These people, you know, it's, it's widely known that the people who are your, your loudest, most vocal critics, um, they do that because they care, right? And if you can, if you can flip their mindset, um, they will be your loudest, most vocal advocates uh, and evangelists. So it was always that balance of, like, let us respond to these. Um, give us the, the empowerment to have an official statement on this, you know, and make that. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I like it's it's a hard argument to make um, for people that are just like just blow them off, especially when your metrics are just like if they're complaining, they're not going to buy anything. Move on. Yeah, I think the hard thing is that I mean the reality is you can't um, please everyone, but um, your inaction is is an action. Um, so not actually responding, not trying to be transparent. That's that speaks more than you know actually trying to be trying to hide things or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of the idea that silence speaks volumes. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like a botched PR opportunity, basically. And, of course, you can't make everybody happy, but there are people out there who, who care enough to say something, and they're they're complaining, and, you know, they're, they're aggravated about something. So um, at least understand them. Show that you can be sympathetic and empathetic towards their, their thoughts or their concerns. But it's a matter of, uh, you know, when we think that we can... And again, this goes back to all of us being pleasers and, and doers and just things. Like we, we want to convince somebody to love us. Like we will make you love us. Um, but um, you have to realize that you can at some point. But that doesn't mean that we can't still put forth the effort, um, especially in a public space, to, to let everybody know to, to those passive listeners or the people that are paying attention without really raising any concern. They can see that we, that we do care and, and we care about what people are saying. And I, I think it kind of works both ways, too. Like, the understanding that if someone says something negative about your group or your company or whatever, that I means there's probably 10 people who aren't. And I like to think of, you know, working in the community. If I'm up on stage bringing up an issue, whether that's a technical issue or I speak a lot about cognitive development and things like that, um, it's an issue that, you know, obviously it's 
probably I'm representing at least 10 people who are out there in the crowd listening to me going, hey, this is something that should have been brought up a long time ago. And so it kind of balances out both ways. And so, I mean, that's when, when I worked for that particular company, that was always our logic. Like, if one person's complaining, there's 10 people who aren't. Address this person, those other 10 people say, hey, they fixed that for this person. They're probably willing to fix it for everybody. Yeah. No, that's a fair point. And, and you bring up a huge point about, you know, one person voicing that opinion means there's so many others behind them not saying anything. And I think that's something that, that people don't realize. Oh, well, we haven't gotten any ne- negative or positive feedback about this thing. Oh, okay, well, we don't have any feedback about it. It's like, no, we just haven't asked, or we haven't found the right person to talk to, or we haven't started the discussion in the right way. So. Well, and also we get hung up on our own expectations. Like, we, we want to ask a question and think that we're immediately going to get responses, or at least or, you know, definitely the responses we want, but any response at all. And we forget people have jobs, and they have things that they're doing. And to, like expect us to just get what we want, you know, in terms of response back is, is unreasonable. This is an interesting point because, because we do the one-on-one, we get more latitude to have longer answers, stuff that amount of, of, of feedback that no one's going to put in an email. And if they do, it's the, you know, rant, I hate you. This is why I'm leaving forever. Right. It's, it's rare. Whereas we can, get a lot more to bring back because it's a lot easier to just have a, a conversation you know it's it's uh it's it's low friction for them it does put more on us because then we have to oftentimes like communicate that back and that may be writing up a whole you know thing on that but it, it's shifting the weight from from them to us which is beneficial you know for the company but I think that's another one of those sort of unrecognized things is it looks like, you know, we boiled it down to something, you know, small and here's what can be done about this. And it's not necessarily visible, but that involved um, an hour of contact with somebody and potentially, you know, having a number of meetings after that about how to solve this before it gets to the final person who can actually do something about it. So there's just a ton of work that goes into being able to give one truly useful communication back yeah well another obvious thing is that you know we're all preaching to the choir obviously we, we you know so it's not like we are the ones who need to hear this which is why we have the show and why we want to um all sort of work together to get the message out there and one of the things we, we wanted to you know touch on today or t- this evening um was the fact that you know we can make a strong argument as to the value that we bring and why why roles like ours exist and and why we do, um, um, well, that there is success, although it's hard for us to define success sometimes. Um, but if you look at um, sort of our industry, you know, the software industry, but also just kind of other industries in general, you can see that these types of roles are starting to be get, uh, to become a little bit more popular. You're starting to see um, more and more dev relations and evangelism and, and community people pop up. Um, so you can tell that there is some something that is going on, right? That, that we can we can see that it's it's getting traction. Yet at the same time, there's always these conversations about metrics and these frustrations about ROI, and and eventually there's companies um, who just were unable to find a way to support the people that they brought in to do these things. Um, and I think that's the main thing right there is is understanding what do what do companies somewhere up the, the higher up in the food chain, 
need to understand or need to begin doing to actually support us in the way that, that, that is good for the company, number one, but also good for us, us being sort of just generally different types of folks within the company in general. It's that support thing. And I know, I mean, I, I've got my own stories that I'll, I'll share, but I'd like to hear from everybody else first. But what, what have you seen work? What have you seen not work in terms of actually trying to, to support our types of roles? Um, let's start with you, PJ. Uh, well, I, I think that one, one of the things that I've seen is, is um, at companies that I've worked at prior to them having a community person, whether that's me or, or someone else in the organization, prior to having someone in that role, it was always kind of helped. They were still trying to do it. But you'd get your head of development to do it. You'd get your director of engineering to do it. You'd get, you know, one of the programmers to do it, which means they're being taken off their main role. And what we saw, you know, at most of the companies that I've worked at in, in doing the community role is that when you do that, you know, that's the minus. You put a community person in place. Now you have someone who can take on that role. Um, I mean, especially when, when I was an engineer, like we were, we took over all the speaking roles. The engineers were thrilled. They didn't really want to have to develop a talk on top of their day-to-day stuff. They didn't want to have to develop a blog a blog post on top of their day-to-day stuff. So we would ghostwrite things for them. Um, they didn't, you know, they wanted to go to the conference, but they didn't want to have to be the face of the company or have to wade in if they didn't know a lot of people at said conference. So we were there to kind of even be the ambassador, like you know, hey, this is Jason, and Jason and I work together, you know, and I know that. We all know each other. Karina, you and I have known each other for years. But this is Jason. You get, get to know Jason. And, like, it's just a good way to reach out. We've saved so much time and so much energy. Um, and that to, that, to me, I think a lot of companies realize is so much more important than ROI. Um, it's just a matter of realizing that, yes, you are going to have to pay someone to do this. Um, but that's, that's, the key, that's the key value there. You have a face who's out in the community who's also helping bring things back together internally. Um, like there, there's, you can't put a price tag on that. Yes, you can. <laughs> I disagree because you know, and we value this all the time in other parts of our field. You know, as industry as a whole, specialization. You know, especially when you're talking about programmers, we we are really good at saying get narrow specialization and get someone who's very good, very experienced at just that niche. And then you have them basically go like, and also do some things that you have no specialization and no interest in and really find vexing and annoying and everything else. Um, and it's going to take like a couple of days out of your work, uh, you know, every couple of weeks. It, the value is you've got someone being paid highly to do something they do well, and then you're wasting that by having them do something poorly. So the value on that is you should want to pay someone to do well so that other people can do what they do well. You know, that is a, there is a fixed, well not fixed, there is some sort of measurable financial value in that. But it does take a different way of thinking about, for instance, salaries or expenses. I think somebody mentioned, you know, like all we can really show is receipts. And that's a big problem for us is because oftentimes our role is to spend money and there is nothing attributed back for, you know, what was the inflow from that? Um, you know, the, the, the outflow of money is really obvious and large. I mean, compared to other departments, often, you know, we're one of the big tickets. Um, and so, like, if all you see is that, then you're going to always see dev relations as some sort of financial burden. You have to be able to see it as, and the trade-off is we have tremendous value in who gets to stay focused on their valuable work. 
Mm-hmm. And that's a huge point because that's a problem that gets brought up anytime, you know, if you're talking about priorities with the product or rollouts or, you know, change logs or whatever. Like, what's our next big priority to move forward as a company? Okay, well, who has the most time and what what requirements is it going to take and how much time is it going to take and how much money does that mean and all of those things. Like, those are conversations that happen every day around, like, okay, well, can we can we afford to use – three people's time for four weeks to do this one project. And, and you're I, think right. it, even, I think it differs from company to company too, by size. Like Karina, I think what you said was what I was trying to say and really screwing it up. Um, <laughs> but I, and I, I think like what, what going back to what Mary said, I, I think that what it is I like with a small company, yeah, you're going to say, all right, we've got five developers and, and one person in marketing, one person doing this. And that's all we've got. And everybody has some skills. We're going to have to mix it up and people are going to have to overlap roles. When you talk about a bigger company of, of even, you know, 20, 25 people, there's no reason why each person in that organization can't be specialized enough to do the role they were hired for. And if that role is community, then that's taking the burden off the people who, when you were a 5 to 10 person company, were having to do that and not get your product to roll out as, as quickly as it could. Yeah, and I think, well, so beyond that, you have the thing, right, where if I'm a leaving a great developer, so... I can calculate like I'm saving this developer, you know, 10 hours a week working on some presentation that he would hate giving, right? So I can calculate his rate and say that's maybe part of my worth. I think one of the big things about community is because we alleviate problems, it's almost like the same problem that security guys have, where when security guys are doing their job, there's no big hack. So you can't measure that and say like, we saved a billion dollars because, you know, Sony didn't get hacked, right? And it just never happened. You never know about it. Maybe that should be our argument. You know how you know your community developers are, are worth the money you're spending on them? No one hates you right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, I mean, some community managers' role is to be, at least in part or exclusively, doing things like moderating forums and lists and IRC. You know, if no one's like burning that down, congratulations. And that probably means somebody was busting their butt to make sure. Oh, hell yeah. Heck yeah. So let me ask you this then. Let's just say in a perfect world, because uh, I'm, I'm guessing all of us right now, we, we have someone that we answer to. Um, I know I do. Um, there's some boss that we, you know, is our superior. Let's just say that. I'm going to chime in here and say, I don't have something. Don't you have a cat or something that's bossing you around at home? I'm sure there's somebody who's in charge of you. Well, I mean, if Jason's going to say, I'm just going to add that I have issues with authority anyway, so I guess I technically <laughs> have someone who's on a chart above me. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I know, we're all rebels around here. But Different fields. I, I want there to be a manager who is really um, a strong advocate within the company, kind of what you were talking about, PJ, with, you know, you had a manager who really got it, and then there's a CEO who doesn't. There needs to be someone who is that buffer, who is saying, what you do, you know, I, I agree that this budget, you know, makes sense, the thing right now that you want to, to choose as a priority, I'm going to trust you on that, and I'm going to make sure that people above, you know, that are, if they don't at least have buy-in, that I'm going to strong arm them into, like, this anyway. You know, that there has to be someone who's taking care of letting deprivations happen. 
Yeah, well, and that's and that's kind of where I was going. Is like, what what's the what's the thing? If you know, you know, whether your perfect world is that you are your own boss, or that you've got this one like unicorn boss ahead of you, what's the one thing that you want them to be able to do? To step up to the plate, or to take one for the team, or to do something that really is the key, like indicator is is the best word I can find where they are supporting you. Like this is what this is exactly what you need. Somebody in my corner to do this for me so that I can do my job well and not, not worry about, you know, what everybody else thinks. I think you just actually said exactly what it should be. I think in a perfect world, the person who is above you is an umbrella. They're not coming to you saying, Oh man, budget, it's going to be really tough for me to fight for you. I don't want to hear that fight for me, fight for me and say it didn't work. Fight for me and said, this is why they don't want you to do this. Fight for me first, then come back to me. Don't tell me that you're going to try to fight for me but you don't think it's going to work out because you've already resigned yourself to not winning for me. And, and as much as I hate to put it in those that kind of like, you know, fighting and winning and losing kind of terms, that's a lot of times the way it is, especially, you know, when you're very early on in the company who's doing community stuff, you're fighting to say, yes, you know, it is worth, you know, two grand to fly to Portugal to speak to 500 people because we have no customers there. It's worth the money. And yes, you're not going to see it right away. Having someone who will fight for you like that, who, who's been through it usually and, and knows what it's like. That's, that's, I think, my perfect, you know, superior person ahead of me, teammate, team manager kind of person. Absolutely. I think I'm lucky enough to be on a team right now where we are developer relations and partner integration. So we've got two different pieces, two different sides of the team. And my manager, he's the first one to say, look, I don't have experience with community management. I don't have experience in this realm. Like, Mary, you've got the most experience of those of us on this team. Tell me what you need me to do. Like, how can I help? What can I do? How can I advocate for you? And there's times where we'll come to him with problems, and he goes, cool, can you get me a list of, like, here's examples of what's gone wrong. Here's what we want to do going forward. Here's why we think this will work. And then he'll take that and go fight that battle for us. But having someone who, even if they don't understand the the ins and outs of it and don't have a lot of experience in that area coming forward and saying, no, absolutely. Like I've got your back. I might not understand everything you're doing, but I trust you and I believe in you. And I believe this is, this is intentional and it's necessary and we've got you covered. It's huge because that frees us up to, to be able to do the things that we're good at and that we provide value to the company for. Um, I'm going to plus one, all of those and thus choose something um, a little off sides from it. Um, we have a really high burnout profession. You know, there's sort of like an axiom of, of expect to last one year. Um, and that's not always the case, but it is, it is a very intensive job. It's a labor. It's, it's part emotional labor. You know, like once we're out there, we're often being all day long for many hours in a very loud environment, just really, you know, trying to build enthusiasm, which means we have to start from a place of a lot of energy enthusiasm and sustain that for a long period of time at a conference. You know, it may very well be if you're staffing, say, a booth or more likely organizing the booth, right? Like the workday may easily start at 6.30, 7 a.m. in order to make that happen. And then you've got all the way to the end of the evening, you know, you've got the mixers and stuff you have to be at, which, again, you may very well have organized that meetup and need to, like, skip things like dinner and just grab a snack so you can get right over, you know, from the conference straight to that venue. But easily you can end up working for several days at a time you know, that like 7 a.m. to maybe 11 p.m., and that has to be sustained. So having managers 
who comprehend that, and this, I think, PJ, you started off with, it's not a party job. We may be attending parties and participating in parties and organizing parties, but it is actually the least partying thing of anyone else there, right? Like, we have to be able to have someone who's backing that, yeah, you just worked a series of, you know, three days that were actually more like six, seven work days, and I am going to protect you from all the people who have been wondering, you know, where are you? How come you're not answering emails? How come you're not doing real work? And say, like, no, actually what you have is, you know, at least one day of paid work time, time off. Go not do some stuff right now so that you can sustainably be doing this work. So I really value having that person who gets that one issue. And then the other one thing is I know one company that has a rule of uh, you can only do direct flights. So we only have you you serve places where from your airport you can do a single direct flight. And the amount of burnout that saves, just not having to deal with transfers and hubs and so much more time today is like, you get it! <laughs> <laughs> That's huge, yeah. Right? So BJ was talking about this uh, this event he got he had to actually turned down called PHP Cruise. Uh, to me, that sounds like that might be sort of a party, or at least or at least a really fun event. You know what? Sometimes sometimes it is. I mean, it's it it's not black and black and white. You know, everybody likes to think you know, oh, you're a big partier. Oh, that's a lot of hard work. No, it's, it, there's some gray area. Um, oh, totally. You know, PHP Cruise is definitely a, a good example. But I mean, even. You know, we threw Distill. We did Distill in 2013 and 2014. And I'm not going to lie, that was an absolute blast. But yes, I was up at 7 o'clock every morning. And yes, I didn't go to bed until 3, 3.30 every morning. But we, like, the energy of the conference kept you going. And it was a lot of fun. And I didn't I didn't speak there. It took nine months to organize. And, you know, we I was the MC and running all day long. And yes, I, I may have had a few beverages, and yes, there was probably karaoke. <laughs> there's always karaoke where PJ is. I mean, we, if there's not, there needs to be. We, we're we're, we're just. Not, and if there is, sometimes Mary doesn't show up. We're just. Us. We're just partiers. We're just partiers with a drinking problem, or drinking people with a partying problem, whatever that joke is. Um, but yeah, I mean, like for example, you know, RailsConf. I, I think this speaks a lot to what uh, to what Karina was saying. Uh, RailsConf is coming up, uh, end of April, beginning of May, somewhere in there. RailsConf to me has always been for 20-hour 20, 20 days. Um, and it's just because, you know, there, there's a lot of talks, there's a lot going on. It's a multi, multi-track conference. Um, and it starts on time, and it ends on time. And you're lucky if you get a chance to go toss your bag in your room and go get some dinner with your team before event starts, event X, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that, you know, last year... I was on my feet all day, and if you're that person, like you were saying, Karina, if you're that person who's throwing the party, sometimes you have to be there until the end so you can pay the tab, um, which means that you're there until 3, and you haven't been having fun since 2, but you're still there, and you're like, that's great, drunk people, please go home, and I'm going to make sure you all get in safe cabs or Ubers or whatever. You know, I will walk with a large group back to the hotel, whatever it takes, I will herd these cats um, because this is my party, and that's what I'm doing. Um, and I think people see it as like, oh, you threw a party, that's great. You probably had great food and got completely wasted. It's like, no, didn't. <laughs> well, not I mean, it's do. essentially like being the designated driver, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Everyone loves to go to the party. Nobody wants to be the designated driver. And that's not to say you don't have fun, and it's not to say that you don't enjoy it, but there's a price. And 
the times where we do get to go and enjoy the whole thing is our reward for all the times that we are up till three, making sure that people get back to the room safely. Exactly. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it goes back to, and I know I've mentioned this before on the podcast, like, there was a fantastic article um, where someone went through and kind of detailed, like, look, here's the reason why it's difficult to say how valuable these relationships are. Because you don't stand in front of your best friend and say, it took five movies and and 18 coffees and, you know, three hikes and four road trips and all of these things. And finally, we're best friends. And let me go quantify this for you. Like, you don't do this that. This will be my weekly possible. friend report. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's not a thing. And yet, you wind up with amazing relationships with people who end up being incredibly loyal to the company. And if it's their choice, we'll never use another technology. So, uh, backing up just a little bit, transitioning. Uh, when we started the episode, we mentioned um, a hashtag that people started on Twitter uh, two weeks Karina ago now, started. I guess. Sorry? I know. So, this hashtag was DevRel for the win. DevRel FTW. Um, and I was just wanting to share a little bit with people about why it started, how it started. Um, Jason, if you want to give us a little background, we'll start there and then have Karina take it from her side. Sure. And it's one of those things where I didn't know for certain how or why it started. It sort of um, seemed to be timed around uh, the Fluent Conference that O'Reilly runs. So O'Reilly has an annual conference called Fluent. It's largely fo focused on web primarily front-end, so a lot of JavaScript. Um, Josh Simmons was serving as the primary community manager. I was in San Francisco doing a bunch of user group outreach and also kind of backing him up. Um, so we were both at the conference uh, working it. The last day of the conference, uh, early afternoon, uh, I got a message that I should come to a meeting. I showed up and they um, told me that I had been essentially restructured out of the organization. Um, and then proceeded to, to call Josh in and do that as well, and then canceled his session that was later that day. Um, so that was kind of a shock, um, something that we didn't see coming. Um, so we were at this conference, and now we were unemployed. Um, as being community people, I turned to the community of, like, you know, just put it out there, like, oh, my God, I have no job. Um, and suddenly I see this DevRels for the win, hashtag, um, which coincidentally is just the most encouraging thing at this point in my life because I'm like, I, I feel validated for what I do. Um, and I think the first couple tweets that I saw come out were from, from PJ, um, but that's what I know about the hashtag. I proceeded then to join in and start pointing people there and just being like, hey, you should check this out. Yeah, and, and also, Jason, something else you had mentioned before the show was that it wasn't just you and Josh, right? There were, there were other folks um, within O'Reilly that had the same... Yeah, O'Reilly laid off a whole bunch of people. Um, I heard they also laid off the community manager for Safari Books Online, um, and Safari Books and O'Reilly had, had done a merger, so there were some other layoffs around um, getting rid of some redundancies and trying to optimize things, so... Yeah. I'm not sure beyond that. Right. Well, and you know, aside from from being very unfortunate, um, I thought that the the response and the conversation that we had on Twitter was very positive. And of course, both you and Josh, and I'm sure everybody else that was involved, is having no luck at or yeah, no luck at all, uh, no hard time at all. Um, 
you know, finding other opportunities. It sounds like maybe Josh already has, and I know you've got some options that you're looking at. So um, you're, you're all very good at what you do. And um, the, the fear of not really finding something isn't really there. It's just the circumstances of, of what took place. And, and I think really why we wanted to talk today is that it speaks to the bigger question or the bigger problem that we're starting to see uh, fairly often, like what we were just talking about, is that our roles don't typically get the support that they need. And um, people just kind of don't understand things uh, as clearly as most of us do. They're, they're, they're using very formulaic um, managing and, and measuring types of ideas to justify certain roles. And, um, but let's go back to the, the conversation that we had, uh, or the conversation that was taking place on Twitter anyway, because I happened to be in Seattle at the time speaking in a conference, and I was just kind of in between talks and, and killing time on Twitter, and I noticed Jason's tweet and uh, um, immediately hopped into that uh, sort of that hashtag thread and saw, saw the activity. I saw a lot of stuff from PJ. I think I'd seen a few things from Mary. And then, of course, I jumped in with my conversation as well. And uh, there was a lot of a lot of people that jumped in there and had some really um, sort of powerful statements, I guess. Uh, does anybody remember any favorites or anything you want to comment about what took place on Twitter specifically? Uh, I was just pulling up the, the DevRels for the, the win one, but um, I'm trying to remember. I, I, I was actually, I didn't need to see the responses. I was heartened to see how many responses were happening, but just even seeing, I, I think one of the things that really was shocking to me was I knew Josh had a talk that afternoon, and suddenly hours before it was pulled, I mean, it, it was pulled hours before, and Knowing Josh, I, I couldn't imagine anything but a sudden illness keeping him from doing that. And so to, to hear very quickly that there was a different reason behind that, um, aside from the fact that it's foolish to lay off in general your community managers, um, to see that they were really undermining themselves and a lot of work that you know the person they're laying off had laid and could have. Uh, late at least that day, like give that one last benefit to your company, if nothing else, um, I think was really uh, something that a lot of us were uh, feeling a visceral reaction to. Of, you know, it's not just that you're you're disbanding that team, but the way you're handling it is 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 reflective of, of the fail in the first place. You know, not understanding the value of that role so much that you would literally pull the carpet out from under this on a day when that value could have been continuing to, to, uh, be generated. And yeah, timing, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say timing on that definitely wasn't great. You know, I was, they called me in right before I was supposed to head down to the South Bay, um, to go to a, a meetup group where I was going to give them a bunch of free books, you know? And so it was that thing of like immediately after getting laid off. The funny thing is, you know, community is in our veins. It's what we do. Um, and I think I told uh, someone during the process of the layoff that, you know, um, my being in the community for O'Reilly was partly O'Reilly, but it was me. You know, it's, you know, you could say that I was the face of O'Reilly for a lot of people, but it still is my face. Um, and so it was that thing of like, immediately after getting laid off, not like the first person that I, that I called surprisingly wasn't my wife. It was the leader of the, the meetup group being like, hey, how can I get these books to you because your meetup starts in an hour? Uh, 
but I think that's who we are. You know, it, it's part of what we do. Um, being in the communities that we serve, regardless of the company that's backing us. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, even in in the face of that sort of you know unfortunate circumstance, our our initial reaction is, oh my gosh, there's still people who are depending on us, and I still yes. got to I still got to do this thing, and it's not for O'Reilly. Um, it's it's because I am to those people O'Reilly, and I have my own name that I have to protect here, and, and I guaranteed them a box of books or whatever the case may be and despite what just happened I still I still feel something that I want to um, provide I think the interesting thing is I'm sorry Karina go ahead as much as obviously there was a particular instigating event um, the hashtag and, and the the sort of conversation that preceded it um, at, on the Slack, which has about 350 members who are all in dev relations, um, it was about the bigger picture, and I think still belongs on the bigger picture because just focusing on, you know, one company's decision on one day uh, misses that this is something that is a problem in general of how dev relations is perceived, how it is poorly measured. Um, and the premises uh, under, you know, I, I think, Jason, you, you're kind of alluding to this. Ideally, we see ourselves as not serving the company, but as serving the community. And it's right there in the job title, you know. And as soon as a company starts to see it as uh, you are not serving us as well as we want to, or this doesn't serve our bottom line, whatever it is, they're, they're cheating themselves out of a tremendous amount of value that, that we're often the one person who is perceived as, quite rightly, as being on the community side, as being for them without uh, agenda, um, you know, and because we love to and because that was what the job description is and somebody has to really have faith that that is a worthy job description. Well, and Jason, I mean, I think you, you showed it in one of your tweets, most of all, like you tweeted, look, here's, here's my ROI. Here's my metrics with all this outpouring that I'm getting on Twitter. These people who were just amazed that we were let go, amazed about how we were let go, amazed that there's no longer going to be a community team at this company that we know and love and trust partially because of the community team who's been there. And I think that's the thing that a lot of companies don't think about when they make these decisions. I mean, like you said, Karina, this O'Reilly is not an anomaly these days. How many companies have let go of their community teams in the last few months, right? Yeah. And it's, New two. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah. not an anomaly, but it is something that's worrisome because how many of the companies are thinking beyond just, can we afford to pay these people? And I think some of the questions they need to be asking aren't, can we still afford to pay these people? It's, can we afford the fallout if we don't have these people? Can we afford to not have the continued conversations if we don't have these people? Can we afford to not be continuing to build these relationships that the community team is so actively building and fostering if we no longer have them? And it's those, those repercussions that I think a lot of people aren't able to see beyond because all they're seeing is, well, Here's the bottom line. Here's what I I have to do for this quarter financially. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's part of the backlash too of, of kind of being a community person that gets let go. And, and Jason, I don't know if you saw this with O'Reilly or if you know what's going on, you know, behind the scenes or 
what have you, but kind of if, if, if it's clear that a company is saying like, oh, these community people or this community person doesn't meet our bottom line and it's too expensive, they're saying they're cutting costs, costs with the relation with the public. That's fine, but that also lets anyone who's out there that you've ever interacted with or interacts with your company know they're not really that concerned with talking to you anymore. And if they're willing to cut the person who's communicating, what else are they cutting that you're not finding out about? And that generally leads to some dissatisfaction. Um, I know that in a couple of situations I've seen a community team get completely decimated and they try to like cobble together something internally and it, it falls on its side. Um, it, it's because again, no one has the time to dedicate only to that. Right, and that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's something that takes dedication. And if a company's not willing to dedicate that long term, then they, they really need to look at that up front. Speaking of all that, let me, let me play devil's advocate real quick. One, definitely a devil's advocate comment that I, I'd like some questions on. And a second thing is just sort of a maybe something for us to think about and talk about uh, in, in larger scale. But the devil's advocate side of things, given how busy all of us are, you know, we're, we're on the road, we're constantly doing things, right? Like, just constant, we're always on. Given that, and given how little um, a lot of, you know, other people that make decisions, given how little they know about what we do, when's a, when is the best time to let go of your community department? You know, we, we, we know, you know, decisions get made, right? And that's, they get made for whatever reason. But I think a lot of, you know, a lot of us felt, for both Josh and Jason and everybody else who was involved, just because of the timing. If if you know, and this isn't specific to O'Reilly, and we should be we should be clear that we all love O'Reilly, and they're you know, they're, this isn't about them. This is about this is about how it's handled, right? Yeah, I'll say one, not when they're at your conference. <laughs> Two, not when they're at any conference. Three, not when you've already paid for them to go to conferences. Um, and I mean, all three of those things happened to me between September and November of last year. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting to see that there was no forethought on that. Like, A, you had conferences lined up that I, that I, I community guy, am supposed to go to. Conferences that were sponsoring that I'm supposed to attend and speak at. Conferences that were throwing. Those three things. And if suddenly your community team's not there, you've blown all three of them. Because no one's going to come and ask you about your product or what you're doing. They're just going to say, what happened to PJ or Karina or Jason or Mary or other Jason? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a matter of, like, that's wicked bad timing. You want to get rid of your community team? Do it in December. I know that's terrible because it's right before Christmas. But you know what? No one's going to conferences in December. No one's going to conferences in January. Jason, we were talking about this, like, we, both, we were talking about how neither of us really spoken yet this year because it's just starting to ramp up. Yeah. Like, between January and March, that's when you get rid of a community team. Is there ever a really good time to get rid of them? No, it's a stupid idea. So, uh, I want to take a different aspect of this in terms of, of how you get rid of them. Um, some, some dev relations people don't go to conferences. They have a different role, including things like, for instance, you know, managing online community. Um, I think the how you want a smooth, long, orderly transition to losing the person. Losing them overnight is, first of all, scary for the community, especially if they don't know, you know, what happened and who, who is going to be their next liaison for what. 
you want that to be a gradual, cordial rollout that is, you know, politically good and gives people a lot of clarity about how those needs are going to be fulfilled, or frankly not, but, like, our role is to be good communicators, and you want us to, to, to finish the job of being good communicator before you lose us. So, you know, if, if you need to do that, as, as hard as it is to, to get rid of, of your team or even just a member of it, do it publicly, well, thoughtfully, and taking the time that it needs. Um, I, I think it's a real shame to just say today is your last day. It's undermining a lot of investment that you've made in that person. And if you think that that was expensive, now you just easily may have lost six months or 12 months of not just goodwill, but active work that was going to pay off soon. And you threw it away. And you've thrown a bunch of people away. So, you know, at least be pragmatic for this perspective of the company itself or the project itself. Yeah, it's not it's not really um, as cut and dry as like well we're we're just cutting you know this department um, which you can look at as though we are maybe burning bridges or you know cutting ties somewhere but really that's that's not the whole truth it's that you're you're letting go of somebody who's going to take those bridges and all those ties and they're going to go someplace else because all the relationships that we build are personal um, so all these companies are made up of personal people. And those are the relationships we have, and those are not going to go away. So, like, you know, Jason and I are going to be buds no matter where he works, and that's, that's just the facts of it. And that's how it works with everybody that, that we interact with. We make contacts with people, um, and they happen to work at brands, and those relationships are formed for the betterment of both of those organizations, but those relationships stay intact through the people. And not that I just wanted- you're going to maintain your friendship, but also you're going to be interested in the next place that he goes to. Because you know him, you trust him, you have a relationship with him, and therefore the next company that he's at, you're likely gonna be interested in what they are and and, and you know what they're involved in and, and their presence in the community because you know you trust him, so therefore there's an automatic trust in that company. Just to rewind so, a little bit to what Karina was saying about uh, you know the long rollout and the the communication. Uh, the other, the flip side of that too is keep in mind that we're not just out there for the public. We're advocating back internally. Um, so one of the big things that that I really regret not being able to do is a handoff to my coworkers internally within marketing. Um, there's so much like information that I have in my head um, or that's in emails that they're never going to scour through. You know, like it's Google Mail, so it's finding anything in there if you don't know what the thread is is impossible. So just being able to provide that information, uh, leaving well the, the community that I serve, but leaving you know, the community inside the organization is just as important. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, well, we're getting a little short on time. Karina, did you have one more thing you wanted to add? Uh, well, you had mentioned something about taking you know, our, our network and credibility with us. It really depends. Um, taking to me sounds like taking it away and putting it somewhere else. and. You know, that's really only if it was mishandled so much that people are like, I need to exit this and go with that person. Ideally, you know, what we're, we're trying to do is is bring people, expand that, that company or project's community, and then we're sort of like, you know, seeding something else when we move on, leaving that, that behind, 
and building on you know the base that we personally carry with us for the benefit of the next company but that it's it's an add-on it's it shouldn't be if you're handling it right and by you i mean you know manager it shouldn't be something where you have a loss it should be simply you know we're no longer building on on the foundation that today you know like this is where it it tops off unfortunately um so that you know you want to handle it well because you don't want to lose all of that work that's been done. So as far as the next job though, hiring. Like we are honestly, we're hired for our credibility and our network. Those are huge things and our profile. Um, you know, that we bring into a company and there's so many times where, you know, I've been approached just because, you know, you have a reputation and we would like to really be able to use that. You can get, you know, you can get accepted easily to, your, your talks can be easily accepted. Wow, you get keynotes. Like people are going to listen to you far more than you know the people who who only have some product pitch. Like those are all incredibly valuable things, and it's 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 easy to sort of miss like why you hired this person and why you want to make sure that when you lose them, you do it in a really good way. Yeah, no, those are good points. Okay, one more thing before we get into our checkout, check it outs or checkouts, whatever we call them, and uh, wrap up here. But um, I'm going to ask one question. I want to hear from all uh, all four of you, everybody, actually, right? You two and Mary. And um, yes or no question. I won't accept maybe. Yes or no. And then 30 seconds, uh, 30 second comments, just to kind of keep things going here. But is the um, and we're not picking on anybody, in spe- you know, specifically here. But is the dismissal of a community department or a, a large swath of community roles within an organization a sign of big trouble for that company? We'll start with you, PJ. Uh, well, given, given my experience, I will say yes. Uh, the reason being is, is uh, in the case of one company that I was let go of back in September, it was a sign that they were running out of money and they needed to cut people. The community team was just one group of, uh, I think it was a total of like 35 people that got let go. Um, in the second case, the company, the entire company was tanking and everyone got fired. So community was just a, a small portion of that. Um, but generally, I think that when people are saying we need to fix the bottom line, we need to get rid of these people that are communicating with potential current and prospective customers. That's usually a sign that you have a problem. I would say yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Jason? I would say yes as well. Um, you know, I, I think back to, to PJ's analogy with the train and uh, what we're doing is laying track. And it might not be that, you know, they fire the community team and instantly you see revenues going down or, or horrible things happen. Uh, but there there will be some long-term uh, detrimental effect. And unfortunately, I think, you know, the problem is because it is long-term, it'll be one of those things that stuff happens and people are just kind of left wondering why something didn't work. Right. Karina. Uh, yes, very much yes. Um, I we're kind of the canary in the coal mine. We're regarded as you know one of the most disposable items on the the budget. Um, and so when you see DevRels being disbanded, it is a a sign definitely that there is more cutting ahead. And it may not be headcount, but Clearly, a belt is being tightened for some reason, and you should be concerned about what that is and why they chose something that, frankly, has so much obvious value and communicates caring 
about the community. So you're just saying we don't value community and we are somehow, you know, our, our financial position, our financial position has suddenly changed. Those are warning signs of something. What the something is may vary, but they are both something that you should see as a big red flag. Yeah, interesting. Mary, what are your thoughts? I say yes as well. Um, one of the tweets that came out of the Dead Rolls for the Win hashtag, uh, J. Paul Reed actually said, I can easily trace the genesis of the downfall of the last startup I worked for to when they let go of the community manager. And that resonated with me because it's not just the external community that you're taking care of. Like Jason mentioned before, it's the internal community. You're the one building bridges. You're the one that's the, the liaison between the people using your product and the people building your product. And having one person or a team of people focused solely on the community where that's their top priority and not their third or fourth priority, but their top priority means that you're building a product and pushing out a product specifically for people who are going to be using it. And if you disband that team, who's looking out for the people using your product? And if there's no one looking out for those people, then how do you know if the product you're building is the right one? And how do you know it's going to continue going in the right direction? Awesome. Jason. Well, I've got the I've got the easy job. I just get to agree with all all four of you. Um, certainly couldn't say no at this point. I'd be uh, outcast. But no, I, I genuinely do agree that it is a um, it's a sign of, of trouble. Um, to what degree that trouble is, I don't I, you know that just depends on the company. But um, it is something that is a little bit of a red flag and, and uh, or at least piques your interest. You know you know what's going on over there. Um, all of a sudden they. Because you got when, when you have to start making cuts, you know, financially, you got to start someplace. And we do know that um, with our roles, it is hard to hard to understand what's going on, hard to understand tangibly what the value is for a lot of people who still look at the world and look at managing from an old lens. And um, we also do come with a significant um, uh, spend. You know, like we travel's expensive. Um, we probably all Shirts have are expensive. Yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, I mean. It's like a battery that costs way more than a shirt. Yeah, no, totally. And, and I, you know, I know um, many of us, you know, are paid not necessarily what we deserve, but we're paid pretty well. And so that's another, you know, it's another salary on the on the bottom line that they can take away and not feel like they're going to feel it, um, or at least not initially. So um, anyway, all, all good stuff. I, I think we, we've gotten to the point where we probably have to kind of hustle up and this because I know we've gone over, but this has been awesome. Um, so much uh, good uh, discussion about you know just community in general. So um, I'd like to thank all of you for being on here. And real quick, uh, and just because we're short on time, we'll make it super fast. Uh, and if you actually don't even have anything to share, that's totally fine. You can just say pass. Uh, but what we do at the end of the show is uh, our check it out series or our check it out section, and uh, we just kind of go around the horn. And if anybody has anything at all that they'd like to share. Um, uh, with anybody. It doesn't have to be community-related or anything like that. Um, it's your opportunity to let us know about it. And uh, So let's go around, and we'll start with Karina. What's uh, something you want uh, everybody to know about that you think is awesome? The Slack. If you are in Dev Relations in any way whatsoever, you should contact any one of us to, to, uh, to get into that Slack because it is for so many of us, our only time to have peer contact is at a conference and it's just a few of us and we're super busy. This is the one place where we truly have our peers who are often like the only person or a handful of people in the company 
who do what we do, who understand our dilemmas and have tried to solve them. Like you want to be in the slack. This is this is all things that we don't have anywhere else. Okay. All right. How about you, uh, PJ? Uh, so I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit only because I've been doing it. Um, I work with an organization called Prompt, uh, mhprompt.org. If you're organizing a conference or doing a meetup and you're looking for someone to speak about mental health and tech, um, which covers a wide variety of issues, um, we help provide financial assistance to get a speaker to you. Uh, get in touch with me. It's at mhprompt on Twitter or teamprompt at mhprompt.org. Um, but, you know, if you're having an event and you want someone to speak about something a little different that maybe developers need to hear but don't know they need to hear it yet, definitely get in touch. Prompt is happy to help. Great. And Jason? I've actually got two. Um, one is really recent. Uh, Vicky Brasseur um, published a four-part series on opensource.com about um, essentially the ROI and metrics of community management. Um, it's a fantastic series. Uh, the other is, um, even though I don't work for O'Reilly, they do good books. Um, one of their latest books called Debugging Teams, Better Productivity Through Collaboration. Uh, it's a fantastic read. Awesome. Mary, what are your checkouts? I think all of these are great. The Dell Girls for the Win is, is obviously a, a Twitter search you want to keep an eye on. Uh, a lot of great people tweeting about a lot of great things, a lot of good things to think about. Um, and a lot of good things to take back to your managers if this is stuff that you're struggling with. Um, yeah, the the Evangelist Collective Slack channel is something that I, I help run, which is awesome, and I love it, and that's become one of my favorite places to go with questions as well. So plus one to everything. Cool. And I've got a beer in me, and it's Friday, so I'm going a little bit off the off the uh, script here. But my, my thing is uh, my checkout – well, I've been watching a lot of Netflix. This is kind of like our off-season, right? We're not – traveling and doing as, as much as we usually do so i'm glued to netflix lately and um i have to recommend both fuller house and no, yeah no i'm sorry sorry hold on let me finish fuller house um you can skip the first episode go straight to episode two because the, the first one is dumb um but and then also i watched this week uh peewee's holiday which i i give five stars to as well especially if you grew up on peewee herman um, it is worth it is worth your hour and thirty six minutes. And those are my checkouts. Ways to de stress. Yes. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been, like Jason said, a fantastic conversation about a lot of different things around community, and I really appreciate the insight and the advice that you all brought. Um, it's been great having you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Thank everyone for joining us. Uh, so, Mary, you want to take us out? Sure. Till next time, I'm Mary Thingval at Mary underscore Grace on Twitter. Uh, and I'm Jason Hand uh, at Jason Hand on Twitter. And uh, we very much uh, thank all of our guests for being a part of our uh, podcast, The Community Pulse. And uh, we hope to, uh, well, we'll, we'll sure, for sure see you all, I'm sure, at events here and there uh, moving forward and, and collaborate and talk over Slack. But uh, um, it's been a pleasure, and uh, we thank you very much, and we'll hopefully uh, see you again real soon. With that, we will close out. Talk to you later. All right. How do I stop the recording? <laughs>